Church, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? This is Mark 1, verses 40 through 45. A leper came to him, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the word, so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. That's the word of the Lord. Be seated. Good morning, Highland. Uh, I'd like to get gross for a minute here, if you don't mind. You're going to regret this. Um, I was about 23 years old, and I was running through a park, and I tripped. And I landed in a present that some canine that must have weighed at least 200 pounds had left, I streaked. I could not stop washing my left hand for hours. I want to get gross for a minute, if you're okay with that. Uh, when I was in high school, my favorite job that I had was I worked at Elitch Gardens, which was, it's kind of like a Six Flags. And I was a manager in the Kitty Games uh, department. And uh, we, I got a radio, and occasionally on the radio, there would be this call that nobody wanted to hear. It was a code green. Uh, it meant that somebody had thrown up on a ride, and there was this closet with this bag of sawdust and a, a giant shovel, and your job was to go there with the, you dump the sh sawdust on and clean it up. We're not even going to talk about a code brown. Code green was pretty bad. Um, but I always, when I was cleaning up the sawdust, I always wondered to myself, that poor guy that threw up on themselves, you know, it was their only time in the summer to get to go to Six Flags and have a good time, and they're going to have to spend the rest of the day with vomit on their shirt. That happened to me once. I'm going to get a little bit gross. My brother and I, when I was like sixth or seventh grade, my folks bought us a bus pass for the summer, and we could ride all over the city of Denver. I'm not sure what they were thinking, uh, but they just let us have this kind of freedom. And, and one day, they, my mom said, you guys got to go to the dentist, so figure out how to get there. And so, you know, one bus transfer later, two buses, I'm at the dentist. It turns out that if you drink too much of the fluoride that they put in those little troughs, to put on your teeth, it makes you very sick very fast. And so I'm sitting in this dentist chair, drinking the fluoride, I get immediately sick, and I'm gonna describe what happens. It was like a fountain that came up, and then gravity took over, and it comes back down. Now, a dentist chair, if you remember, is kind of shaped like a clamshell, and so there was this pool that formed on my backside that I, as a seventh grader, did no idea what to do with, and so I just kind of sat there for a minute until the hygienist turned around the corner to see what happened, and she thought in her head, I am certain I don't get paid enough money for this, but proceeded to help me clean off my breakfast, which was chunky, 
Um, that was great. And then I remember I remembered the best part, which is my brother and I have to take two buses to get home. And there happened on these bus rides, this kind of natural space that formed around me and the refuse on my shirt and the smell that was coming off of my pants. There was a lot of people that sat in the front of the bus. There was a lot of people that sat in the back of the bus. But there was like a 12-foot radius where no one sat next to me. I want to get a little gross for a minute. I don't know if Highland does this. In the, in the church that I grew up in, uh, at, at senior graduation moment, uh, we had this slideshow. And it kind of showed the development of each senior. And we'd play it at the banquet. And uh, it always began with very cute baby pictures. Every baby is adorable in its own way. Uh, and then toddler pictures, which are equally just as cute, uh, especially mine. And then, um, you know, you have some early elementary school pictures that are cute and fun. And then they jump to like junior year. And then you see the senior picture, right? It's always curious to me why there is that four-year gap from like fifth grade to ninth grade, and there's never any pictures of that time. Except for my family, who my mother or my father, in a bout of extreme honesty, wanted to tell the truth. Here is a picture that showed up in my senior slideshow. Oh, man, huh? Like, I don't know what, if it was me or my mom that made me choose that purple turtleneck for my sixth grade picture. What you can't see is the one and a half inch rat tail that I had growing behind my head. Uh, we almost always skip those awkward puberty years. Braces and acne and limbs that are too long, five whisker mustaches and those hygiene habits we just haven't quite figured out yet. I say all that to say that we're about to talk about leprosy and how Jesus encounters the unclean. Jesus up to this point in Mark has been teaching and he's been healing, he's been exercising demons, but I got to tell you the truth, in middle school being uncool is just as infectious as disease, and it's just as terrifying. Will you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge that we have unclean lips, and we come from a people of unclean lips. It's not just our lips, it's our minds and our hearts, our bodies that we have failed in myriad ways to acknowledge your holiness as your people. And Father, there is a deep longing in each of us to be made clean again, to be made holy, to be welcomed back into your presence and the presence of others. So Father, now as we turn our hearts and our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching that I may speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, 
Amen. Okay, so we need to get a couple of things un understood, some things clear. When the Bible talks about leprosy, they didn't have the same diagnostic tools that we have in the 21st century. And so uh, a rabbi or a priest that's trying to figure out a skin disease can't tell the difference between melanoma or acne or psoriasis or leprosy. They're all just kind of fall under the same uh, blanket umbrella of leprosy. It was this catch-all term that just described all sorts of skin diseases, but it was understood and it was clear that skin diseases were very contagious and also very difficult to hide. And according to the law, you could become unclean in a lot of different ways. You could touch a dead body or you could touch an unclean animal like a pig or you could touch a dead animal, uh, but except for a few exceptions, really the only way of touching another human being that made you unclean is if you touched someone that had leprosy. And then you were pronounced tezrat. You became unclean yourself for touching a leper, and everything else you touched became tainted. And if you were pronounced unclean, you were forced to live outside of the village. And you were required to warn all people that approached, unclean, unclean. Leprosy was kind of like an oil spill. Maybe you've seen those pictures of, of animals that got caught in an oil spill and they're, they're taken into this very clean room and they're, they're, they're washed with soap, right? And, and the animal is cleaned and, and set free and it gets to live its life. What you don't see is the other side of what happens, which is now you have this 50-gallon drum worth of water that's become tainted. Oil is only safe if it's in your gasoline tank or it's in the ground, it is one of the most toxic substances when it gets out in the ecosystem, and there's, there's no way to contain it. The only thing that you can do is try to disperse it, put enough water in the, in the mix so that it's no longer toxic enough to kill anything. You can't clean up an oil spill. You can only disperse it. You can't cure leprosy. You can only manage the symptoms. In fact, there's only two people in the Old Testament that are cured from leprosy. One is uh, Miriam, and the other is Naaman, the Syrian, who's cured by Elisha. And the extra biblical sources, there's no treatment uh, for the rabbis to help with leprosy. And there kind of grows this myth out of that uh, lack of, of cure or help that only the Messiah will be able to cure leprosy. And maybe that's what Mark is doing when Jesus encounters the leper. According to Leviticus, if you were cured of leprosy, you would show yourself to the priest and then wait in seven days as a kind of a quarantine, and then you got to rejoin your life. There's this faith statement that the leper makes, if you will, you can. The leper believes that Jesus has power. And the unclean spirit that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, he said something similar, but they weren't quite the same. And it's not just that Jesus touches the man, and that is significant. He may not have been touched for years. What strikes us in this text is that Jesus is taking the role of a priest. He is pronouncing him clean. The text says that Jesus is moved with pity. 
But it's kind of interesting. There's a, a textual variant that says that, uh, that Mark uses the word anger instead. Now, most of, of, of Scripture, all of the copies that we have, are remarkably similar in nearly every way. It is phenomenal that the number of different copies of the Bible that we have, how similar they really are. But there are a few cases where there are a few uh, variants of the text. And, and when that happens, scholars try to figure out the best way, which is, the, which is closest to the original. And one of the ways that they do that is they try to find the oldest text, because the oldest text is probably closer to the original. Another way to do that is they, they find the widest spread text. Because if it's, it's read more generally, then it's probably closer to the original. But in this case, it's kind of peculiar because in one, one set, it says that Jesus had pity. In another set, Jesus became angry. And those two words aren't even close at all. It's not like somebody flipped a couple of letters or, or made a misspelling and that meant another word. These are two very different words. And to make matters a little more confusing, one of them appears to be much older and the other appears to be much wider spread. Now, I think your Bible is accurate in this case that pity is the right word, but if we used anger, it makes a sense. Uh, and it says in the text, if you choose, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He was upset and he stretched out his hand and said, I do choose, be made clean. It makes sense when you consider the line. After sternly warning him, he sent him away. Why would Jesus be angry? Maybe Jesus is angry because this leper, according to the text, doesn't send out the warning, unclean, unclean. Maybe Jesus is angry at the destructive power of the disease. He sees what leprosy has done to the man. Maybe Jesus is angry at the interruption of his ministry. He has a thing he needs to do, and, and this wasn't on the game plan that day. I think pity is the better reading. He was moved from the very seat of his emotions. Jesus chooses to heal this man. And there is tension here. The man is abrasive. He's not following the social convention, and he doesn't listen or obey Jesus' commands. This guy is a little irritating. And touching a leper is one way you could catch leprosy. And, and here's the heart of the story. Jesus isn't infected by the disease. Instead, the sick man catches him. Jesus isn't afraid of the man, but the man catches Jesus from the touch. Jesus barges into the darkness. And there's something to be said here about darkness and light. If we are part of the unfolding kingdom of God, if we're following Jesus as he walks in this world, there are going to be times where you are going to bring light into the darkness. And so do not be afraid. Jesus does not hesitate to embrace this man. So don't be afraid to make friends with tough people that are difficult to love. You know that person who doesn't always get the social cues, who barges in, who asks for what they need before uh, it's polite. Uh, and you, you know who that person is in your life. 
Maybe you have two or three. Maybe you don't have any. And there might be two reasons. I'm going to tell you the first one. And after you hear it, hear the second one, you're going to hope it's the first one. Maybe you don't have any friends that are tough to love because you're the friend that's tough to love. And that's okay. But the other reason, like I said, you're going to wish you were the tough friend. Maybe you don't have any friends like that because you've insulated yourself. You've used your money or your power or your position or just your choices to keep everyone that's difficult away from you. And at that point, you need to ask the hard question. Are you living in the kingdom or are you just living for yourself? Because I can't tell you how powerful it would have been if in the seventh grade, someone would have taken mercy on me or got angry at the social system that happened in the cafeteria and chose to eat their lunch next to me. I can't tell you what a difference that would have made in in my life if someone had said, Shane, uh, what's your story? Why don't you come sit with us? Because in that time, I didn't have the ability to fix myself or make myself acceptable to the people around me. And so I was lost. So don't be afraid to spend social capital on the uncool and the difficult. Don't be afraid to shine light and love. Because our world is still full of lepers who feel obligated to say, I am unclean. I am unclean. You probably don't want to get that close to me. In fact, the lepers now are going to be the most prickly people you encounter. But they're probably the ones that need the hug most deeply. Because sin is never just a spiritual phenomenon, and disease is never just a physical one. Have you ever gotten sick? I mean, like really sick, or something just terrible happened to you, and you immediately go to the question, why me, God? Was it something I did? For me, nausea is the worst feeling in the world. I would rather break a bone than get sick to my stomach. And when nausea strikes, all I can do is lie still on my back in bed, praying that it will be over soon. But in those moments of nausea, I come closer to asking really hard and deep questions about God. Why am I in this situation? What happened? What did I do wrong? How can I fix it? How can we make this right? All of the good theology that I learned for eight years in school goes straight out the window, and I begin bargaining with God in that moment. And the answer, more often than not, is not, some deep-rooted sin, but that chicken sandwich that was sitting on the counter for three hours and I ate it anyway. Sin is not just a spiritual phenomenon and disease is not just a physical one. As I go in and out and struggle with times that feel and look like depression, it affects the way I think and understand God. And there's times when, when guilt or anxiety or the weight of things rest on my shoulders and I get sick and I can't help it. Spiritual world and the physical world are a lot closer than we might think. 
They're so entangled that you can't separate them. You treat a person like they're unclean or an outcast, and eventually they're going to believe it. They're going to believe that that is who they are, and that is all they are. And when you exist like we exist in a community, that voice is going to get that much louder. And when that community claims on some level to be the conduit of God's love and makes that claim, it's going to shape people. Christine Winderworth, he's a theologian, she notes that the the miracle is not just that Jesus healed him, but the way Jesus saw the leper, the way he became angry about it, and the way that Jesus touched him. He brought him back into relationship with his family and God. And Jesus maybe gets angry at this moment, and anyone can get angry. It's so easy to get angry, right? And maybe that's where this text hits us, right in the gut. Because I don't think that this is here to call us to anger or even to pity, but to action. If you are living into God's restoration of the world, This text seems to say, you can bring someone back. There are all sorts of stories of lepers in our world. Do you remember that dentist that shot the lion? It was a couple of years ago. This this guy went on a safari hunt, and he shot a lion that had a name. The lion had moved off the reserve to a place where you could hunt, and he killed him. And this ended up on the internet, and everybody found out. This dentist had to shut down his practice for almost a year because of all the outrage and hate that happened against him. It's so easy to have outrage on the internet. There's a story of a woman. She had 45 followers on Twitter, and she told a racist joke, and it was, it was bad. It was terrible. Um, that joke gets picked up and shared and shared and shared again until there are millions of people who are kind of spewing hate at this lady. Now, what she did wasn't right, but I don't think that's the reaction. The internet is great at intensifying disgust and outrage and scorn because I can just go to the comment section of somebody else's life and learn just enough to cast judgment. But that isn't what God calls us to. He calls us to find lepers and bring them home. Jesus doesn't heal this man so that Jesus can become more influential or more popular, or so that he can make a name for himself. In fact, it makes his ministry harder. And so one of the questions this text makes us ask ourselves is, are we the sort of people who could welcome a leper into our midst? Do we have the patience to love someone who's a little prickly? Are we the sort of church that goes out of our way to love? Do we have the courage to be that sort of church? Because Jesus says, I am willing to be clean. Are we willing to follow him? If you have your bulletin, I'd like to turn your attention there. Uh, We've been engaging in these spiritual disciplines together for the 
this series. And I want to encourage you to put your name and your email on the side of this little tear-off and then, and then look around at the back. There's three spiritual disciplines that I want you to engage in this week or consider to engage in. It's going to put you in the posture where God can speak to you and shape and form your soul. The first one's pretty simple. I'd like you to give somebody a hug, an appropriate hug, right? Don't make it weird, but an appropriate touch to someone else that's in your world that may need that physical touch in their lives. Now, in my mind, as I was writing this out, I thought to myself about someone coming to my office and said, hey, I took your advice. I went downtown. I gave 45 of the cutest girls I could find a hug, and I just got slapped 45 times. And that's why I put in italicies appropriate, okay? So do this in the right way. Don't make it weird. The second is to spend capital. There is somebody like the seventh grade me that's all by themselves tomorrow. Spend the capital. Sit next to them and ask them their story. And the last is to resist outrage. Whether it's on the internet or in your house with your children or at your work, for one day, don't say anything negative. Don't type anything negative. Don't even talk about other people in a negative way. Just see how far in the day you can get when you do not complain about others. And see what God can do in that moment when you resist being outraged at the world. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. Let's be part of that world that God is restoring. Let's be part of that light in the darkness. Let's stand and sing together.